all in heaven. I always thought there was. Amen. Always thought that we was going to be standing in the courts of the Lord. I thought that was basketball courts. Oh, well. Turn to Genesis, Genesis 27. Got a barn burner for you this morning. A barn burner. You know what that means? Somebody's barn's going to get burned down. That's what it means. You better get them cows out of there. Get them horses out of there. I've had this thought on my heart for a couple of weeks. And I really, uh, this morning, feel like the Lord has given me uh, liberty, green light, green light, to, to preach a message that I think is going to help clarify a very difficult and sticky situation. You know what a sticky situation is? It's when you spill your pancakes syrup all over the floor. That's a sticky situation. But what we're dealing with this morning is going to be a biblical issue that, listen to me, this is for the youngest students all the way to the oldest staff member in here, and the oldest parent in here. If you can figure this out right here with God's help, it will save you a lot of heartache. A lot of heartache, okay? I don't profess to have all the answers, but I've got a bunch of them. Let me put it this way. I've got enough of the answers to help you get started, okay? And the Lord can get you right on through the rest of the way, all right? And you're going to see in just a minute. I have lived what I am about to preach. I have lived it more times than I can count. And some of you young people need some serious biblical admonition and instruction along these lines. And so we're going to do it this morning. Are you in Genesis 37? Did I give you the text? I didn't. You should be able to read my mind by now as long as I've been up here preaching. Y'all ought to know exactly where I'm going. Genesis 37, the story of Joseph. One of my favorite Bible characters is Genesis chapter 37. And we're not going to read but one verse and use it as a springboard this morning, okay? Genesis 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Shakespeare wrote a famous line many, many moons ago. Was it Hamlet? I don't remember. Starts out with to be or not to be? That is the question. Was it Hamlet? Nobody in here knows, and we're preaching to a school. Wow. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's probably as far as most people ever read, all right? To be or not to be, close the book and put it down. This morning, I want to preach on this thought, to tell or not to tell. To tell or not to tell. Lord, help us this morning convey to these young people and to these staff and to anybody that may be listening or the biblical principles that we're going to deal with today. Give me liberty and power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin this morning with a story that has a very clear example of what we're going to be preaching about. We're going to begin with this story. We're going to look at some details in this story. And then we're going to look at some other Bible verses. Let's find out, first of all, what is going on in this story because I believe just the little bit that we know in verse number two will help clarify a lot of things when it comes to this matter of whether or not we should tell somebody something that we know that's bad and trying to figure out if we're being what the world would call a rat. That's the word they use and I hate rats, like real rats. I even hate mice. The smaller they are, the more afraid of them I, I am. I don't know why. Y'all pray for me. I got a problem. I hate mice and rats. But the world calls somebody that tells on somebody else, they call them a rat. All right? But this morning, we're going to look at a very, very real biblical story about a young man that went and told his dad 
on his brethren and why he did it and whether or not you and I should follow that example. We're going to look at four points this morning if you want to write them down. The first thing I want to notice in this story is the matter. The matter. Let's look at what happened. All right? And we don't know a lot about what happened. The Bible is not, it doesn't go into a lot of detail in verse number two. It's actually, if you just read it real quick in your Bible reading, it's actually very vague. It just doesn't seem like we have much to go on. But we do know this. We know that Joseph was 17 years old. Okay, the Bible's clear about that. There were 12 sons. He was the 11th of 12 sons. He had uh, 10 older brothers and he had one younger brother named Benjamin. All right, so Joseph here is 17 years old, which in Bible days was pretty much uh, uh, considered an adult. All right, he was old enough to work. He was old enough to have a family. So this was not a child. This was not a child running to daddy. Daddy, I got something I want to tell you. He's 17 years old, okay? So this adds a little bit of weight to what's happening here. We know this, that he was out feeding the sheep, feeding the flocks, the Bible says in verse number two, with his brothers, or technically they were his half-brothers. There was 12 sons, but they all had several different mothers. They all had the same daddy. Jacob was the daddy, several different mothers there. I won't get into all that. We know this. The Bible tells us in verse number two that Joseph came home and told his father their evil report. They brought unto his father their evil report. So here's some things that we can conclude about the matter. First of all, he's telling about something that he personally knew about. This is not something that he heard about secondhand. This is not something that he thought happened or he imagined happened. This was something that he was able to tell his dad about because he was there. He was a witness. He was directly involved in whatever it was that was going on. And because it happened when he was there, listen to me, because it happened when he was there, he was involved. Now, I hear people say this all the time. When it comes down to telling something about somebody, here's what they say. All the time. I don't care if it's something little or if it is a major scandal in a church. Here's what people say. I just don't want to get involved. Let me explain something to you this morning. Listen to me very carefully. The fact that you know about it because it happened in front of you makes you involved. Okay? Listen to me. There's going to be situations in your life and you're going to say, I don't want to get involved. Well, if somebody did something in front of you, they involved you. You are involved. Listen, I've been involved in things I wish to God a thousand times I had not been involved in. I was there when it happened, and I am now a part of the story. All right? Let, let me say this. If somebody does something wrong in front of you, which is apparently what happened here, his brethren did something in front of Joseph, he was aware of it. If somebody does something, says something share something with you um, and involves you, they are doing that for one of two reasons. Number one, either they think that you will go along with it, meaning they have very little respect for you. Or number two, they think you're going to be too scared of them to tell on them, which means they have very little respect for you. So the truth of the matter is, is if somebody does something wrong in front of you, they have now involved you in their sin, which means they have no respect for you whatsoever. Here's the problem. Many times people are afraid to expose the sin because they are afraid that that person is going to think they don't respect them. The truth of the matter is they didn't respect you first by doing it or telling you about it to start with. This is, this is a key part of the story. You are now put in a difficult position that you didn't ask to be put in because somebody else didn't have enough respect for you to keep you out of it. All right? Now, we could preach a whole message on people thinking that you would go along with it. That is many times your fault. 
Many times you are made aware of a situation you should not be made aware of because they interpreted your spirituality as being so low that you would not have a problem with it. But either way, they disrespected you. They didn't think much of you because they have now put you in a position where you've got to make a decision that you don't want to make because you now know something you wish you didn't know. The matter, the Bible tells us very clearly, was something that Joseph was there, he witnessed it, and he saw it. This was not secondhand information. This wasn't something that he heard through the grapevine. He was personally involved in whatever it was that happened. So we see the matter is verse number two. Secondly, I want you to notice the manner. The manner. He went to the right person. Joseph went to his father in verse number two. Now this morning as I was researching this passage of scripture, which I have preached from dozens of times, I have alluded to it, I've preached an entire series on the life of Joseph. I've expounded verse number two, I don't know how many times in my ministry, but this morning for the first time, I literally broke down with the Greek and the, uh, the Hebrew rather, and I begin to dig down on what it really means when the Bible talks about their evil report. The word evil in this verse is the Hebrew word ra, and it is translated in the King James Bible evil 442 times. It is translated wickedness 59 times and wicked 25 times. So from that verse alone and that word alone, we can conclude that this was not some petty incident that Joseph was telling his, bro, his father about. This, this was not just some little trivial, silly, non-issue. Whatever happened, and the Bible doesn't tell us what it was, but whatever happened, it was evil. Joseph had every right to go to his father with this news for several reasons. Jacob was the authority figure in Joseph's life. At least two different ways. Number one, Jacob was his father. Teenagers and young people and children should always go to their parents and talk to them when there is something that is bothering them. I, I, I don't understand why children are scared and afraid to sit down with their parents and tell them something that has happened. I've seen children go and tell just about anybody and tell everybody things that they should have told their parents, and I mean immediately. The Bible says that Joseph brought to his father their evil report. I believe with all my heart that Joseph told his dad about it just as soon as he got back to the house. He didn't go to bed and toss and turn all night and debate and try to figure out if that's what he should do. The minute he walked in the door, he went to his dad and said, we got to talk. And he had every right to do that. For some reason, young people allow fear to dictate how they respond when they are brought in on an evil situation. Fear fills their heart and vain imaginations fill their heart and they imagine every possible outcome and every possible scenario except what actually ends up happening, which is that parent looking at them saying, thank you for telling me. And that pressure being off of them, that burden is now lifted. They're not having to carry that around. The devil fills hearts and minds of young people with unfounded fear that they're somehow going to get in trouble. Not once in my life have I ever thought I was going to get in trouble unless it was something that I was actually a part of. Never once have I been afraid that I was going to get in trouble for telling an authority something that somebody else did that I didn't have anything to do with. Never crossed my mind I was going to get in trouble. And I have never gotten in trouble. Amen. Let me just go ahead and throw that in there. Never once have I gotten in trouble for doing the right thing. Amen. Joseph was able to tell his father of, the Bible's clear, their evil report because it was their evil, not his evil. Can I tell you how to have a clear conscience? Can I tell you how to be able to hold your head up? Can I tell you how to live without fear and without worry? Don't be a part 
of the evil. Jacob was his father. Secondly, Jacob was his boss. These flocks in verse number two belonged to Jacob. These brothers were working for Jacob. They were working for their dad. It was a family business. And if you work for a person, and many of you in here are too young to work for somebody, but there's going to come a day when you get hired by an employer and you're going to have a job. And if you work for a person and something happens in that business or with those employees, your boss deserves to know what is going on with his business. The quickest way to gain the trust of your employer is to have his back. I can say that having been an employee from many different people, and I can say that having been a boss of many different people. And the quickest way for a boss to gain the trust and respect of, for, for, their, for their employee is for their employee to be loyal to their boss and not to all the coworkers that are doing all the stupid stuff behind the boss's back. Joseph, Joseph was loyal to his boss. He was loyal to his father. And if you know what's going on and it's wrong and it's evil and you cover for your friends or you cover for your fellow employees, you are now a part of whatever evil they were doing. These men were on the job and we don't know what they were doing. Presumably it had something to do pertaining to the flocks. We don't know that for sure, but I just assume that. Whatever it was, it was wicked. We're not talking about a situation where um, it was something small, like they forgot to put water in the trough, or they, they, uh, uh, the, the, the sheep was over here upside down in a hole, and they were laughing and taking pictures and posting on social media, uh, trying to get likes and hits. No, no, no. They, whatever they did, the Bible says it was evil. And it was Jacob's flocks. It was Jacob's sheep. It was Jacob's business to know if there was something evil going on. I don't believe it was a mistake or an accident. It was clearly evil, something wicked, and Joseph owed it to his dad to tell him about it. Which brings me to number three. I want you to notice the method. The method. Now, this is a very important part of the story. This is how Joseph went about it when the time came. The word report. He brought unto his father their evil report. That word report in the Hebrew is the word dibal. It means a whisper. It means an evil report. This Hebrew lexicon that I was reading this morning literally states that the word report in this word verse is given in the secretive, furtive sense is what it says, furtive sense, secret. In other words, it was done in a, in a, in a quiet and a secret manner. Now this is important because he didn't shout it running down the driveway coming into the yard. He didn't stand up on the fence post and tell everybody on the farm what his brothers did. He didn't get on his blog and he didn't get on his social media and tell the whole world what his brothers did. The Bible says he pulled his dad aside and according to the literal Hebrew words, he whispered into his dad's ear what his brothers had done. You say, why is this significant? Because he wasn't trying to tell everybody what they did. He just went to the one that needed to know and told him. Now, this is important. We're going to get to this at the end of the message, so just hang in there with me. There is a biblical way to deal with this. Running all over the place and running your mouth about it is not biblical. But it is very biblical for you to go to your parents or to the authority. Wake up, young people. It is very biblical for you to pull your authority off to the side and whisper to them and tell them in secret something that you have witnessed that is evil. It's very biblical. I, I'll really be honest with you. I'm going to go out on a limb and say something here that's going to chap some of y'all. I have never really even had a problem. I've never even hesitated to do this. 
A person that hesitates to do this has either got misplaced loyalties or they've got evil in their own life they're afraid it's going to come out on them. Joseph came straight back and brought unto his father their evil report. The method was done in a quiet, in a a secretive whispering tone to his father. Now, I want to dive, do a deep dive into what the Bible says, number four, about the mandate. We're talking about this morning to tell or not to tell. That is the question. When you know something, you're, you're, you're made aware of something. Something comes across your path. You are immediately put in a position, am I going to go along with this or am I going to draw the line? And then the next step is, am I going to tell or am I just going to keep this to myself? I began to do a study on the word tale-bearer in the Bible. By the way, it's used often. You don't find the word tattletale in the Bible. The Bible uses the word tale-bearer, a person that bears tales, okay? In Leviticus chapter number 19 and in verse number 16, here's what God said to the people of Israel. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tale-bearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. You say, well, there you go. There's your answer. You shouldn't say anything. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 19 says the exact, uh, has almost the same exact. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. He that goeth about as a talebearer. So both of these verses talks about a person that's going up and down or going about, okay? There is a far different example in these two verses than what we looked at in Genesis 37. Nobody could accuse Joseph in Genesis 37 too of going up and down amongst the people or going about as a talebearer. We just looked at the fact that he went only to his father. He went only to the authority that needed to know. And he did it in a quiet and a whispering and a secretive and in a confidential manner. Not even close to being the same thing. But just for kicks and giggles, I looked up the word talebearer in Leviticus 19.16. And it is the Hebrew word rawkil, which is a scandal monger, a slanderer, a talebearer. The Bible's clear that a person shouldn't go about amongst the people and just slander and scandal people. Dealing with it biblically, not in a way that will sow discord and divide the people and create all kinds of confusion and division and strife. These are two completely different things. In Proverbs chapter number 11, verse number 13, the Bible says this about the talebearer. Listen, a talebearer revealeth secrets. But he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. You say, well, preacher, I want to have a faithful spirit. I think I should conceal the matter. Well, let's just look at this verse a minute. A talebearer revealeth secrets. But he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. That word secrets in Proverbs eleven thirteen is the counsels of a friend. In other words, the Bible here is talking about betraying the trust of a friend that has shared personal information with you in an effort to get advice or counsel. That is far different than you being aware of something that is evil that is not a secret You're just now part of it because you happen to be there when it happened. If I were to go into my office and the church member was to come in there and sit down with me and say, Pastor Shiflett, I need you to pray for me. I need help. I've been fighting with pornography. I struggle with this. I just need God's help. As a pastor, I will give them some Bible verses. I will give them some things that they can do, some guards they can implement in their lives, some software they can install on their computers and their phones and try to help them. And I will pray with them. And it would be wicked for me to walk out of my office and start going around to people and say, guess what? So-and-so's got a problem with pornography. That would be wicked. Wicked. 
That is not what this, these, that's not what we're preaching about this morning. We're going to get in just a minute about how to help somebody. If somebody comes to you, by the way, well, I'll get that in just a minute. I'm just looking at the verses. It is essential. Listen to me, young people. It is essential that you do not confide in people about personal issues that is in no position to help you. I want to say that again. I, when, my, when my check engine light on my truck comes up, I don't take my truck to McDonald's. They can't do anything but stand there and look at that check engine light and go, yeah, your check engine light's on. Yeah. They can't help me. Here's what I've seen a lot of times with children. They go to each other in a secretive, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me. And it's not because they want help. They just want somebody to get in on what they're doing. And now you feel like you've got a straight jacket on because they've confided in you about something that you had no business knowing about and you can't do one thing to help them with. You know what you need to do? Take them by the hand and take them to their parents or your teacher or their pastor and you need to pass that responsibility on to somebody else. That's what you need to do. You don't have to carry that. You don't have to carry that burden. If you share secrets with your friends just because you need to tell somebody or they shared secrets with you just because they wanted to get it off their chest, you do not have to carry that secret. You need to go with them to somebody that can help them with that problem. This is important that you understand this because this is real life stuff here. I'm not just grabbing random thoughts out of the air. This is stuff that affects every single person in this room. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. It says it again in Proverbs 26.22, The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. The word talebearer in this verse in the Hebrew is different than the Hebrew word in Leviticus chapter number 19. It is the word nirgon. It literally means to whisper, to murmur, to backbite, to slander. It's just talking about gossip, okay? You don't find the word gossip in the Bible. What you find is the word backbiting. That's what you find. All right? The word gossip is not found in the Bible. The word backbiting means you're behind somebody's back telling people stuff about them that you know. That is not what we're preaching about this morning. We're not talking about gossiping. We're not talking about slandering. We're not talking about going all in the youth group and telling everybody what you saw in, their, in your, in your uh, friend's journal or you saw written in their, uh, something they had in their, in their book bag or they had it in their hand or whatever. We're not talking about going all over the place and talking bad about people. That's not what we're preaching about. That is obviously and clearly wrong. The word talebearer here is also used in Proverbs 26, verse 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. That's deep, isn't it? Quit putting wood on the fire, fire's gonna go out eventually. And here's the application. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceaseth. Well, we're not, this is not talking about what we're preaching about this morning because it's talking about strife. It's talking about going around sowing division and trying to harm the body of Christ and trying to do damage to people by just going around running your mouth nonstop. And we got a lot of that going on. People talking about people, running people down and just always murmuring and backbiting. That is wrong. Clearly that is wrong. That is not what I'm preaching about this morning. The preaching about this morning, the, the question I'm talking about is... Do, do you tell or not tell when you're made aware of an evil situation that has come into your life unexpectedly? How do you respond to that? Well, let me just give you some personal illustrations and some Bible verses. Let me just give you, I have lived what I'm preaching, by the way. Let me just give you, let me give you a couple of them. I found a love note one time written by a 28-year-old divorced woman with two kids written to a 17-year-old boy. 
I intercepted that note completely by accident. Have I got your attention now? I stumbled across this letter written by this 28-year-old woman to a 17-year-old boy, and the letter was so graphic, it was clear to me that they had been having physical relationship for a while. It fell into my hands. <clears throat> my first response was, wow. My second immediate response was, I can't handle this by myself. But this has got to be handled. Would y'all agree with me that need to be handled? So here's what I did. By the way, I was... I wasn't even married at the time. I was still a young man. I was trying to pray about and figure out how I would go about it. And that 17-year-old boy called me. Apparently, she had told him that she had written a letter and it wasn't where it was supposed to be because I had it. And he figured out I had it. He called me and he said... Uh, did you get that letter? I said, yep. He said, what you going to do? I said, you know what I'm going to do. I said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm a nice guy. I will give you the opportunity to go tell your parents. If you don't, then I will. i tell you what else I'll do because I'm a nice guy. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I'll stand beside you. Because if you're man enough, if you're man enough to be fooling around with a 28-year-old woman, you're man enough to look your parents in the face and tell them. Is everybody still with me? I said, either way, I'm not carrying this. I'm not having anything whatsoever to do with this. And I'll be down there tomorrow I'm going to come tomorrow, and if you don't tell them, I will. And that is exactly what I did. Pulled up in the driveway. He met me in the yard. Um, I really wish you wouldn't tell them. I said, no, no, no. I'm, we're past that. We're way past that. Either you're going to tell them or I'm going to tell them. Which one's it going to be? We're talking about to tell or not to tell. That's not even debatable. This was actually criminal behavior. Okay. In the state that we were living in at the time, that was what they call statutory rape. That is an adult sexually abusing a minor. That was a criminal offense. So I walked into the house and he told him. And I sat there and I supported him. And I, but, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't hide it. Here's what he said. We're going to get married when I turn 18. And nobody can stop us. I said, that's six months from now. If you think I'm going to carry this secret for six months, you're out of your mind. I'm not. You say, what happened? Well, he got in trouble. He wouldn't break up with her. He got kicked out of the house. That was not my problem or my fault. That was his fault. That was his problem. Are y'all listening to me? Now, that was a pretty big test for me. That was a, a gut-wrenching experience for me. But I, pass, I, I passed the test. I did the right thing. I did not become a part of that. By the way, there's a Bible verse. You want to hear it? Listen to this. Here's what Psalm 50 verse 18 says. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him. And has been partaker with adulterers. Here's what he said. You saw somebody stealing something. And instead of reporting to the police, you drove the getaway car. <laughs> you went along with it. That makes you a part of it. When you see it and know about it and you don't do anything to stop it, that makes you a part of it. Right after this happened with this 17-year-old boy, 
that was having an affair with a 28-year-old woman that had two kids that was about eight or nine or 10 years old, yeah, him 17. I know it's mind-boggling. Right after this, I was on staff at a church in North Atlanta and my pastor, this is when I was dating Miss Grace, we weren't married at the time, I was living in, 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 in North Atlanta, on staff, youth pastor, music director at a church. I was 23 years old, 22 years old. The pastor and I were in a motel room one night. He was sitting on his bed reading his Bible and I was sitting on my bed reading my Bible and he began to talk to me and he began to open up to me and he began to confide in me a serious, serious sexual sin problem that he had. But it didn't stop there. He then proposed to me to become a part of it. I'm trying to be as discreet as I can be. But it was one of the most surreal, unbelievable experiences of my life. You want to talk about an out-of-body experience where you feel like you black out and you're looking at it from across the room? That's what happened that night. When my white-headed pastor of 53 years of age with children and grandchildren and had been in the ministry for 30-something years is inviting me, a young preacher boy on his staff, to become a participant in his filthy, wicked, ungodly lifestyle. And I remember looking at him with just this shock. And I said to him, I said, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not doing that. He was so wicked. He looked at me and here's what he said. Well, I was hoping you would at least pray about it. I tell all about this in my book. He got up and he left me at that hotel by myself. I didn't sleep a wink that night. Wrestling with what do I do? What do I do? I am now, I feel like I'm in a trap. I feel like I am wrapped up in barbed wire. I feel like I'm in a, in a straitjacket. This is my pastor. This is my boss. Who can I tell? Who would believe me? What do I do? And it was one of the most unbelievable, gut-wrenching experiences of my life, if I live to be 500 years old, that, spirit, that span of time right there, I will never forget it. I went back home. I was, my heart was broken. My spirit was broken. I was an absolute mess, as you can imagine. I knew in my heart I had to tell. That wasn't what I was struggling with. What I was struggling with was how do I tell and who do I tell? I knew that if I called my daddy and I said to my daddy, this is what happened, I know what my daddy would have said. My daddy would have said, pack your suitcase and come back home. Just leave. That's what my dad would have said. I couldn't do that. I could not leave that church in that position with that man as a pastor. I had to tell them. I wrestled with this thing. I wrestled with this thing for a couple of weeks, I felt like a zombie going through the ministry, going soul winning with this man, leading the singing in this church, teaching the Sunday school class to the teenagers. And this whole time, I just feel like I'm wrapped up in this black fog, just, just trying to get through it, begging God to give me wisdom. Listen to me. I never had one second of struggle over if I should tell. I was struggling over how. And I was riding back one night after visiting my wife out in Fort Gordon, out in, in Harlem, Georgia. It was about two hours from her house to where I was staying. I was listening to a preacher on the cassette tape. It was cassette tapes back then. Preaching tapes. I had boxes of them. And I was listening to a preaching tape driving through Atlanta. And I heard this preacher give an illustration. He said, there's a pastor in California, there's a pastor in Texas. He's been molesting his staff members for years. Nobody ever said anything. And when he said that illustration and that message, Holy Spirit of God said, this is not the first time this has happened. And you can't do what that 
church allowed to happen. You've got to do it. And I got a green light from God driving through Atlanta on a Saturday night. Went to church the next day. On Monday, I knew I had to do something. I made a phone call to a man that was a pastor of a big church in Atlanta. I knew him. He knew of me, but he didn't know me closely, didn't know me personally. And I called him and I said, listen, I said, I've got something I need to tell you. I'm not telling you my name and I'm not telling you where I go to church. I'm not telling you my pastor's name. I want to tell you what happened and I need some advice on what to do. He said, all right, go ahead. And I commenced to telling him about what happened that night. When I got finished talking, here's what he said to me. I'll never forget long as I live. He said, either your pastor is a perverted reprobate or you need to be writing scripts for Hollywood, one of the two. I said, well, I can tell you one thing. I didn't make this up. I just need to know what to do. And here's what he said to me. Call him, have him meet you at the church, and you confront him and give him an opportunity to come clean and confess to the church. Call me back when you get done. Let me know. I'm telling you all all this for a reason. This is a very real thing that happened to me that shaped and molded and made me the person that I am today. I'm talking about these are life-changing decisions to tell or not to tell. I called him. I said, meet me at the church. I'll meet you there in 15 minutes. He walked in the back door and I was standing at the front of the church, leaning up against the communion table. He walked in. I said, sit down right there. God gave me so much boldness during this. Once I decided what to, the, the right thing to do, there was zero fear, none. Are y'all listening to me? Zero fear, not one molecule of it. I didn't worry about what was going to happen to me. I knew what needed to happen. And that white-headed man walked in there that had been pastor longer than I'd been alive. And I said, sit down right there. And he sat down on the front row. And I was standing right there and I looked at him. I said, you are a, I said, you are a pervert. You're a filthy, vile, corrupt person. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to call the men of the church and you're going to tell them what happened in that motel room or I am. You know what he said to me? I'm sorry. I should have done that. I ask you to forgive me. And now you have to forgive me and forget about it. I said, I don't think so. That ship has sailed. See, that's what they'll try to do. Don't tell nobody. I'm sorry. You have to forgive me. You can't tell anybody. No, no. Listen to me, y'all. This is real. And I said, you're going to tell them or I'm going to tell them. He says, I'm not telling them. You can. I said, all right. You asked for it. And I walked out the back door and I called that other preacher back. I said, he's not going to tell the church. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I got to tell the men. I'm leaving. I'm out of there. I can't stay on staff there. I'm going to go back to my home church and I'm going to go back to my parents. But that church is going to know what that man is before I leave. I have to tell them. Make a long story short. I called my parents. I called my pastor. We all met at that other pastor's office in Atlanta and that pastor, my pastor came and sat across the table from me and I confronted him with the deacons and my daddy and my pastor and that other pastor sitting at the table. And you know what? He didn't deny any of it. He admitted it. He admitted what he had done. God completely vindicated me. And I looked at those deacons and I said, I'm resigning right now from staff. I'm going to pack my suitcase as I was staying with a couple named Earl and Lucille Gilstrap. They were in their 70s. He was a retired grocery man. I was living in their basement. I said, I'm going to go to Earl and Lucille's house, pack my suitcase. I'm going back to Conyers. Y'all do whatever you want to do, but I, I've done what I needed to do. I got this off of me. It's the balls in y'all's court. And I packed my little car up and I went back home. Now listen to me. It was during that I tell about this in my book. It was during that when God put his hand on me. I could take you to the spot right now in the living room floor of my mom and daddy's house in Social Circle, Georgia. My pastor, Terry Brock, said, don't come to church. It was a Wednesday night. He said, don't come to church tonight. I'm not ready to tell the church what happened. They still think you're there. 
You just stay home. You read your Bible. You pray. And we're going to talk about it. And we'll tell the church Sunday. And that Wednesday night, my mom and daddy went to church and left me there. And I laid in the floor. And I wept. And I cried. And I begged God to touch me. And God put his hand on me that night. And I tell this. I believe that night, Brother Burner, with all of my heart, that's when I became a man of God. I, had, I was a preacher boy up till then. But that was the day that God changed me. Listen to me. And there have been many times since when I was confronted with horrible, horrible things. Never one time did I ever have to wonder whether or not I was supposed to tell. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, how do I tell? Who do I tell? How does God want me to handle this? Listen to me. In Matthew chapter number 18, the Bible gives a story, a situation about a person that has committed an offense against you. Now, this isn't exactly what we're talking about, but the principles will apply here. Watch this. Here's what Jesus said. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So if you know about something that's wrong, the Bible says the first thing you should do is go to that person that got you involved in it and confront them and give them the opportunity to get right. And you can say, listen, I'll go with you to your parents. You need to tell your parents, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, but you have got to get this right. I cannot cover this up for you. Give them a chance. Secondly, the Bible says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So the second time you go back, you take two people with you, not somebody that's a child. You take somebody with you that can do something about it. Your parent, their parent, your pastor, a teacher, somebody that's spiritual and somebody that can fix the situation. And you go to them and say, listen, I've told them what you did. I know what happened. We need to get this right. The Bible says this. If he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So the, the Bible process for dealing with offenses is you first go to that person and give them an opportunity to make it right. But listen to me, you can't do that if you're wrong too. Again, this is a, it's a slightly different scenario, Brother Berner, but I believe these verses apply in this situation. If, if you know about something, you go to them, give them a chance to do the right thing. And if they don't, then you take somebody with you. And if they don't, the Bible says you tell the whole church. And if they don't get right with the church, the Bible says you treat them like a heathen and a publican. You wash your hands of them. Listen to me. I was doing it when I was a teenager, and I've been doing it all these years. These verses still work. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 5, and in verse number 10 down through verse number 13, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord... And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Here's a verse I want every young person in here to underline in your Bible. Turn to 1 Timothy 5. I'm finished. 1 Timothy 5, I want you to underline this verse in your Bible and I want you to let this verse right here be a compass and a guide for you for the rest of your life. He's talking here in 1 Timothy chapter number 5, he's talking here about laying hands on somebody to put them into the ministry. 1 Timothy chapter number 5, he's talking to young pastor Timothy. And here's what he says in verse number... Um, 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe those things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. He says, and lay, lay hands suddenly on no man, meaning don't endorse them. 
Don't sanction their ministry too soon. Make sure they've got integrity and character. And then notice what it says in verse number 22. Neither be a partaker of another man's sins. Keep thyself pure. You know what the context is? Do not endorse a man's ministry that's got sin in his life because you're going to be a partaker of it if you do. This will apply to you as a young person. Don't endorse and sanction and put a check mark where God puts an X. Joseph brought back to his father the evil report of his brethren. He didn't go along with it. He kept himself pure. And then he went and told his authority and he was washed his hands of it. And it is no mistake, it is no mistake in Genesis, it is no coincidence that the Bible tells us in the very next verse, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. You want to know why Joseph was his favorite son? Because he could trust him. He was a child of his old age, the Bible tells us that. But I believe with all my heart that he could trust him. Listen to me, I'm done. This message this morning, if you'll take it and apply it, it will save you a whole lot of heartache. Don't be a partaker of somebody else's sin. And if you've got things in your life that you need to confess and get right, go ahead and do that where you can get clean and get free of it so you can move forward for God. God is a long-suffering God. God is a forgiving God. The Bible's clear.